before we begin the message this morning, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that we have an opportunity to praise you, to worship you, to come together as church family. Lord, to glorify you in this place. Lord, I pray that this, this message is glorifying to you. Lord, I pray as we go into some really cool things this morning, Lord, I pray that your presence would just be heavy in this place. Lord, if people need healing in their lives, if they need breakthrough, Lord, for the different prayers that we brought up, Lord, we pray that you would move in those situations. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, towards the end of the service, some of you have seen, or some of you, you know, we moved some stuff out of the way. Uh, if you were here early, then you heard the water running. Uh, we are going to be doing a baptism at the end of the service today. I want to say this. We already have, uh, we have two people that, want, that are going to be baptized, but if during the service you just, you know what, something speaks to your heart, something speaks to your mind, say, you know, I would love to be baptized, raise your hand and let me know. Okay, I'm going to ask at the, end of, at the end of the message if anybody else wants to be baptized. And if you do, you say, well, I don't have any dry clothes. It doesn't matter. All right, it doesn't. We'll have towels. We can make sure you're dry. We'll be okay. But if you want to be baptized at the end of the service or if you have not been baptized and would like to, we are more than happy to include you in it. It was planned for this afternoon, but because of late conditions and the weather and, and whatnot, it was decided uh, that we would be better served here. Amen? It's good to do it in, in front of church family. Amen? Amen. I was thinking about water baptism and how we approach our faith this last week. And I was reminded of a message I preached about many years ago now that I believe is worth reviewing today. How do we approach our faith in Christ? So you can see the name of the message this, this morning is Approaching God. What are some ways that we approach God? How do we come to God? There's usually three ways that we come to God. We come out of obligation, we come out of desperation, or we come out of adoration. How do you come to the Lord this morning? Do we come out of obligation? Well, you know, it's just something to do. One pastor said, you can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God than by trying to obey everything. You get so caught up in the rules, right? You get so caught up in the rules and the regulations, I just need to, need to obey everything. And so we get caught up in trying to do the good things, and we miss out on the God things. You say, well, Pastor David, hold on. Are you saying if, you know, you don't have to obey the rules? No, listen, the Bible says this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Everyone knows that, right? So many times we read this verse as, by me obeying the commandments of God, God will see that I love him. If I just obey the rules enough, if I just fall in line enough, the Lord will see that I love him. What really is said here is that when you fall in love with Christ, out of your love for the Lord, what will flow naturally out of your relationship with Christ is the desire to live in righteousness. If you are in love, show me someone who doesn't want to live in righteousness, and I'll show you someone who is not fully in love with Christ. Show me someone who doesn't want to pray. I'll show you a person who that may claim to love the Lord, but isn't in love with him enough to talk to him. Why? 
there's two reasons, and you say, Pastor David's getting awful punchy really quick. There's two reasons people worship God out of obligation. Number one, they aren't able to love God enough because they're too in love with themselves. They have made God, they have made themselves God in their life. What they want, what they desire, what they need. That's why you'll see people who call themselves followers of Christ, but don't want to obey the word that was given to us. And I know that's tough, but I want you to think about it for a minute. What do you do for your loved ones? What are the things you do for your loved ones? When you're madly in love with someone, how many have ever been madly in love with somebody? If you're married here, I hope you raise your hand. At some point, uh, you were madly in love. Jeff, were you ever madly in love with someone? He said, don't call on me. <laughs> Just kidding. What's that? You are right now. Praise the Lord. That was a good answer, Jeff. Now, let's ask Kay, though. Let's, uh, same, same question, Kay. Yes. Okay. She hesitated. That says a lot. When you're madly in love with someone, what do you, the things you do for them are not out of obligation. Right? Man, I can't. Okay. When you're in love with someone, you can't wait to do things for them, right? You can't. My kids are laughing. I don't know what they're laughing at. They think I'm going to tell a story or something. I probably am. My wife does a lot for our home. She really does. She does more than her fair share, in fact. And it's out of my love for her that I'll say, listen, listen, I'll go, man, go out with a friend, go out and hang out, grab dinner, just relax. I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of supper. I'll have them do the dishes. It'll be fantastic. I'll take care of it, right? It's not done out of obligation. It's done out of adoration. It's done out of my love for her, right? So out of my love for her, it's not a chore or a nuisance or it's just what has to be done. No, it's my gift to her. Why? Because I love her. Some of the things may be insignificant from those looking on the outside in, right? If you're married, you know there's things that, or if you're in a relationship, you're married, how many know there's things that you and your spouse do that might be big things for you guys, but if, if somebody's looking on the outside in, it's not that big a deal. So I will tell a story. My wife's not here right now. Uh, she's running an errand for me, but she'll be back. And so while she's gone, I can tell the story. She, uh, every morning, or not every morning, every afternoon when she comes home from work, she goes over to the coffee machine and she lifts up the lid to see if there's a pod in the thing. Because in the morning, I get up and I put a, a pod in the thing and I make a cup of coffee and then I forget about it every morning. <laughs> and it's just how it goes. So in the afternoons, she gets home from work, she comes home, goes to the thing, lifts it up, sees the pod there, and goes, oh, and takes it and puts it in the garbage. Friday, this last Friday, I put the pot in the garbage myself. <laughs> okay, she's going to watch the video and see everybody clapping and be like, what are they clapping for? Why? Because I was thinking about this stinking message and thinking, what could I do for my wife? That No, I'm just kidding. Oh, how many know some things, that might look insignificant. But for her, she goes, can't can you just help me out a little bit? And so I thought, yeah, you know what? I will take care of that pod today. Boy, I felt good about myself. 
I know. Some people are like, you're in trouble, man. You're in trouble. Boy, I'll tell you what. It shows her I still care. It shows her that I adore her. There's a pastor. Uh, his name is Chris Hodges. He wrote in this book, Fresh Air. Some people are trying to be good people by doing godly things. They read their Bible. They pray. They serve those in need. But they're doing it out of sense of religious duty and obligation. Not because they're in love with God and want to know him and offer up their lives to him. And then they wonder why their spiritual lives are so dry. Some of you are fighting temptations by working on self-control. You're working on the wrong thing. I'm all for living a disciplined life, but there is a better way. Temptation is a test of your relationship, not a test of your self-control. Whether you pray or not is, about, is not about self-control either. It reveals relationship. How many have a good relationship with your spouse? Don't raise your hand there. Okay. How many talk to your spouse? Right? Sometimes, I, you know, I, I called my wife. Uh, I don't think it was this last week. Maybe it was the week before. And I called her. And she was at work. And I knew she was at work. But it's an office job. And so she can answer the phone every once in a while. And so I called her. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I'm working. What's going on? I said, nothing. I just wanted to hear your voice. I just wanted to hear your voice. And everybody said, aw, do it louder so the camera can hear you. <laughs> but I said, I just, I just wanted to hear her voice. I missed her. So when we talk about prayer, when we talk about communicating with God, when we talk about these things that connect us to the Savior, connect us to our Master, connect us to our King, are we doing them out of obligation? Well, yeah, I guess I got to talk to him again. That's a pretty, that's a rough way to look at it, right? What if I, what if you, I don't want to bring up Jocelyn because she's not dating anyone and will not ever date anyone. <laughs> but I think at some point, she's going to want to talk to somebody that I'm not going to want her to talk to. And she's going to say, oh, I just want to talk to him. Jocelyn's red right now. It's <laughs> she's going to say, I want to talk to him. I go, well, why? Because I like him. And I'll say, I can feel my money being drained out of me, Matt. Just how it goes. I look at it and go, man, when we have a love for somebody, when we have, a, when we have an adoration for somebody, we, it's not, we, we don't hate talking to them. We want to talk to them. We want to hear their voice. We want to hear them talk. We just want to hear their voice, right? If you're in love with Jesus, you want to hear his voice. If you're in love with the king, you want to hear the voice of the master. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Meaning, if you are in love with me, out of, my, out of your love for me, it's not obligation, but it's adoration. And you say, why is this so difficult? Why do we struggle to live as God wants us to? That brings us to the second reason we live a life of obligation. And it's this. It's, that, it's quite possible that we aren't aware of the enormity of what Christ did for us. When we haven't really examined what Jesus did for us, if we haven't really looked at it, it's easy to look at it as just obligation or tradition or what I grew up in or what my family made me do on Sundays. If you have not examined Christ for yourself, 
If you're following ba ba on the backs of your parents' religion and your grandparents' religion, it's really hard to get motivated to worship a God you have not fully examined or believe in. You say, it's just what I grew up in. I don't know anything different. You grew up going to church then, so it's what you do now. There's feelings of nostalgia and family and connection. And those are all good things. But if you're not there to truly worship God, you are wasting your time. You grew up being forced to say a memorized prayer, a, a, a traditional, our Father who art in heaven. And because you memorized it and you said it before meals and, and it became such in, so ingrained in you, you go, yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I love I, I know the Lord's prayer. But there's no power in it. And so now when someone talks to you about prayer, all you can think of is this boring obligation that we're forced to do. Ephesians 3, verse 14 says this. And we're going to go 14 through, let's say it's 19. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is the purpose of prayer. Amen? To know the height, to know the width, to know the length and the depth of Christ's love for us. How many have understood the height of God's love for us? The depth, the width, the breadth. Paul is speaking to the church here. This is the reason I bow my knees to God. Not out of obligation, but because I understand the depths of His love. Not out of obligation, but out of adoration. I want you to know Jesus in the same way Paul knows Jesus. I want you to know Jesus in the same way I know Jesus. I want to know Jesus the way that Paul knew Jesus. Amen? I want you to know him in the same way. I want you to know the love of Christ which passes all understanding so that we may live in what the Bible says is the fullness of God. Not out of obligation, out of love. I don't want to pray some one-sided, dead prayer out of obligation, but because I have come to know the height, the breadth, the width, the length of his love. And if you haven't fallen in love with Jesus, if you've never truly fallen in love with the Master, if you've never experienced the width, length, depth, height of his love, you'll continue to struggle in your spiritual life, wondering why weakness seems to follow you wherever you go. The truth is, we need to stop living a spiritual life out of obligation. And it's time that you fall in love with Jesus. Amen? There's a famous philosopher, an atheist philosopher named uh, Nietzsche. 
How many are aware of who Nietzsche is? Famously phrased the, the, the message that God is dead. It's one of his most famous phrases. Famous quotes. The other quote that he's very famous for is this. I may have believed in their redeemer if his followers looked a little more redeemed. I may have believed in their redeemer if his followers looked a little more redeemed. Are we living a life out of obligation or adoration? There's another type of approach to God, and that is desperation. I want to talk to you about two types of desperation this morning. One is this. How many, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, coming to God because you want something. How many have ever been desperate for something in your life? I mean desperate. I mean job, relationship, finances, whatever it may be, you are desperate for it, right? And so we come to God for healing. We come to ease a guilty conscience. We come for a job promotion. We come out of desperation. And you say, well, what happens if, I mean, if I come to God in that way, what's, what's the big deal? The Bible speaks many times of God knowing the intentions of our hearts. Ephesians uh, 12, or Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14 says this, For God will bring every act to judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says this, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives, say motives, of our heart or of men's hearts. So at times we are driven to God by our belief that God is a genie. That if we desperately come to him, hoping he'll fix our issues, solve our problems, and then once it's been accomplished, we go back to our old sinfulness and recklessness. Listen, God is not your genie, and prayers are not wishes. Amen? God is not your genie. Amen? And prayers are not wishes. There was a farmer who prayed for rain. This is, you know, current. He was praying for rain to grow his crops. And in the same town, a young boy was praying it wouldn't rain so he could go out and play. So if it rains, the farmer praises God and the crops grow. But the boy is sad and doubts about God coming to his life. Was God even listening to him? If it doesn't rain, the farmer questions if God even cares because he's not providing. But the boy rejoices as he plays outside with his friends. So if your desperate prayer isn't answered, will you abandon God and go back to trying out your own solutions? Better yet, what if God answers your prayer, but the answer is no? That's a tough one. God, I want this. I need this. I'm desperate for this. You have good intentions. It's not bad intentions. And God answers your prayer, and the answer is wait. And so we make promises based on God coming through for us, right? Lord, if you do this, I will do this. Lord, I, oh, if you do this for my life, Lord, I'm going to worship you. Lord, if you just help me to win the lottery. I will, I will be such a giver. Lord, if you will just, Lord, if you will give me that job promotion, if you give me that salary raise, I will give to you. 
And the Lord looks and says, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? I once heard a pastor say, a lot of times, God will not bless you with excessive wealth because you would destroy yourself with it. Because you don't know how to handle it. Because you don't give now, so you're not going to give later. And so we come to God saying, Lord, give me this. Help me with this. Do this for me, and I'll do this for you. Then we back it up by taking Scripture out of context. We love doing that. Lord, your word says whatever I ask in your name, I shall have it in Jesus' name. Right? That was I went into like an old-school Pentecostal uh, TBN preacher there. You know what I'm talking about? Lord, I believe it, I'll receive it in Jesus' name. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. There's a lot of different terms for it. They're, they're always kind of funny ones. The problem is this. When we approach God saying we are asking in his name, but we are really asking in our name for our will and our want and our desire. Right? So this kind of desperation is encompassed by selfishness. The Lord sees the intent of our heart, whether good or evil. And then this brings us to our next type of desperation. So the first type, selfishly motivated, very bad. Second type of desperation. We become desperate. Excuse me. We become desperate out of an understanding of our need for him. And this is a good thing. How many have ever become desperate for the Lord? And I don't mean out of, Lord, I need this, I want this. Just simply, I want to be in your presence. I want to be among you. I want your Holy Spirit to come over me. There's an excerpt from a book called The Gospel of Prayer by a man named Leonard Ravenhill. It talks about 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 15. It gives the account of the yearly trip that Elkanah and his wife Hannah made to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. And during this trip, Hannah had been distressed for she was not able to bear a son for her husband. This passage of Scripture gives quite a descriptive account of her time in prayer concerning the barrenness of her womb. It says that Hannah wept. If you're a parent who has a child or has longed for a child, or, or, or you know that there are times when in thinking about our children, we weep. Hannah was without a child and longing for one, and the Bible says that she wept. More than this, she wept until she was sore. She poured out her soul before the Lord, right? Her heart was grieving. She was bitter of soul, provoked, and of a sorrowful spirit. And that's a pretty good list of afflictions, right? That's a pretty good list of afflictions, sorrow, hardship, everything else that was coming upon this woman. But the key to the whole situation is that she was a praying woman. 
In verse 20, it says that she reaped her reward. And, she, and it says this, And it came about in due time, after Hannah had conceived, that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel. And she said, she named him Samuel, because I have asked him of the Lord. Now, I say this often, and people don't like it, and this is according to Leonard Ravenhill, that God doesn't answer prayer. God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. He answers prayer for those who are longing for him, those who are desperate for him, right? Your prayer life denotes how much you depend on your own ability, is what he's saying. The more self-confidence you have, the less you pray. The more self-confidence we have, the less we pray. The less self-confidence we have, the more we pray. Why? Because are we dependent on us or on God? Are we desperate for him? Are we hungry for his presence? Or have we filled the aching things in our soul with entertainment and sports and internet and Facebook and politics? Have we filled the aching parts of our soul in? Does my soul ache for him? Not just when I want what I want, but when I realize his absence in my life and I come to him in need of revival. How many remember the song, I'm hungry for you? I'm hungry for you. I need your touch. I seek your face. I need your presence. You guys know that song? I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. I need your touch. I seek your face. I need your presence. I want you to think with me back. We're not going to go through the entire scripture, but if you remember in Luke 8, there was a woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that for 12 years, she went to doctors. For 12 years, she has this blood disorder. She's bleeding. For 12 years... She has spent everything she has to find a cure. And then she hears about Jesus, right? Jesus is surrounded by a mass of people, and and he turns to his disciples, and and in this mass of people, the Bible says throngs of people were coming upon him. It means that there was such a crowd of people, they were pushing against each other. And Jesus turns to his disciples in the middle of this crowd and says, Who touched me? And the disciples turn around and look at each other like, what is he saying? And Jesus said, who touched me? Because an act of desperation, reaching out to Jesus, touching the hem of his garment, drew power from him. So when we come to Jesus in desperation, Lord, I just long to touch you. I just long to be near you. I just long for your power in my life. I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry for you. I need your touch. 
I seek your face. I need your presence. So when we get that desperate in our life, like the woman with the issue of blood comes and touches him, and he says, power has gone out from me. Who touched me? Her faith was born out of desperation. She got to a point where it didn't matter who she touched because understand that when she did that, she was committing uh, a crime. She was an unclean woman according to law. And as a woman who was unclean, she was not allowed to touch other people, but she had to work her way through that crowd because she saw Jesus. She saw who she needed to get to, and it didn't matter who was in her way. It didn't matter what her obstacles were. She had to break through the crowd to touch him. Amen? Because she knew that her life was over unless she had an encounter with the Master. I want you to think about that for just one minute. For just a few seconds. She knew that her life was over unless she had an encounter with the Master. Will you close your eyes for a minute? This isn't in my notes, but I think it's, it's worth thinking about. Just get by yourself and God for a minute. Are we hungry for Him? Are we desperate for Him? If you never had an encounter with Jesus again, are you satisfied? When we get to that place in our lives where we say, Jesus, you are all I need. You are all I want. You're the only thing that will suffice. When you really encounter Jesus in your life, it will lead you away from desperation towards the incredible dwelling of adoration. You can open your eyes. How do you know you're in love with God? How do you know you're in love with Jesus? Oh, Steve. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. How do you know you're in love with your wife? <laughs> She's in your heart, right? How many know that when you're in love, you just know? You just know. How many know that when you're not, you know? You go, ooh. Haven't talked to her in six months. Probably not in love. When you know, you know, and if you don't, then you're not. When you're in love with Jesus, when you adore his presence, when you adore him, there's no question about it. Amen? So the question is, are you in love with him today? And some will answer with obligation. Yep, Pastor David, I'm in love with him. Praise the Lord. Let me go so I can eat lunch. Right? And some will answer with absolute adoration. I am in love with my master, with my king. I can't wait to spend time with him. One of the things that happens when we love the Lord is that we want to share who he is in our life. We want to share who he is in our life. 
How many have ever seen like a movie that you're really excited about, that you really enjoyed, that you really loved? You go to the movie and you watch it and you're like, man, that was an amazing movie. And now you got to share it with everybody you know, right? How many have been there? Maybe not Reagan. It's okay. But you, we've been there. We've been, man, there's, there's something exciting in our lives. Michigan football starts this Saturday. And everybody rolled their eyes. Why? Because we get excited about it, right? We get excited about the things that we are in love with. One of the ways that we do this in showing our love for Christ and showing about what God has done in our lives is through what we call water baptism. How many of, uh, if, well, I'm not going to ask, but if you have not been water baptized, I want to make, make you aware again that you have the opportunity to, opportunity to do that this morning. What is water baptism? What's the reason for it? What are we doing with it? In Colossians, Paul refers to it as a circumcision of Christ or a putting off of sinful flesh. Colossians 2, verse 8 through 12 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition. This is what happens a lot of times in our lives. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy Empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Go to the next slide. It says, for in him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of God. Verse 10 says, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11 says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. Say the body of the flesh. Now, we're not going to get too descriptive here, but you understand that a, a male child, when they're born, they're normally circumcised. There's a bit of flesh taken off, right? And so when Paul talks about the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh, he is referring to the flesh sinful nature being taken off. Having been, verse 12, buried with him in baptism... When you think about water baptism, it's this, being buried with him, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. When you think about water baptism, I want you to think of it and understand it as both a burial and a resurrection. Amen? That there is a burial. We are showing what Christ has done for us. We are burying the old man, the sinful flesh, and we are being resurrected by the blood of Christ into righteousness. Amen? It's only by his blood, right? It's an outward demonstration for what Christ has done for us inwardly. Now, in many cases, people in the Catholic or Lutheran tradition, if you're raised in that, uh, they are baptized as babies in what is called a christening with a belief that the baby has to be baptized or it won't go to heaven if the baby passes away prematurely, right? Now, I got to be honest. It's a pretty dark way of looking at the grace of God. To me, that's a pretty dark way of looking at the grace of God. And to be honest with you, it has no actual basis in Scripture. None. We see water baptism as a decision that is made by one who understands who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. And so you can only truly make that decision when you are older. 
So just for clarification purposes, you say, well, what happens to the baby in case they pass away prematurely? It's a very tragic thing. Uh, I had a phone call this last week from my brother who lives in Nashville and some friends of his. And he put me on speakerphone. He said, uh, hey, Dave, uh, I want to I ask you about a question. Um, I'm on the phone with a lot of friends here, and I'm going to put you on speakerphone. And I, ju I just went, okay, and he put me on speakerphone. And he said, hey, everybody, this is my brother David. He's a pastor. He can answer your questions. And I went, okay, how can I help you? And they shared with me a very tragic story of his coworker who had, uh, had they had been praying desperately for a son for many, many years or for a baby for many years, and they had a child um, uh, that lived to be about one years old and then passed away. And they were about to go to his funeral. And he said, the group on the phone was asking me, what happens? What do we do? They had never been, some of them had never been to a funeral in their life. They had no idea what to do, what to expect, things like that. So we talked about visitation. We talked about the funeral itself. We talked about the burial. We talked about the casket. And I said, you should know that we believe that if babies pass away before they come to what we call the age of accountability, to where they have an understanding of who Christ is and sin and things like that, we believe that according to 2 Samuel, that they are taken to heaven and that they are with the Lord. David, who lost his child, said, I will not, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. And so we look at it and go, man, God, you're so good. His grace is ever reaching. And so you say, well, what happens in that situation? That's what we believe happens. That a baby being baptized at birth is of no effect. It doesn't change anything. We believe it's good to dedicate children to the Lord at a young age. We, we love what we get to dedicate children to the Lord for the church and for the, the parents. But if the tragedy happens, we believe that babies are with Jesus. Amen? Amen.